Father, just thank you this morning for just who you are and everything, God, that, um, that we give back to you this morning comes from the fact that you first loved us and you first gave us everything. And so, God, what else can we do this morning but to, to offer that back to you? And God, I pray this morning that however we've come into this place, that we would leave with a smile on our lips this morning. Because God, you can do something incredible with a group of people and a collection of hearts that just really want to hear you this morning. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, to, um, to be aware of what you're doing and not to shy away from what you're doing either? but to welcome that God with, with a heart that wants to say, God, whatever you've got for this this morning is good for us. It's good for us to hear, it's good for us to digest, and it's good for us to practice. So Holy Spirit, would you help us this morning as we look at trying to explain a bit about God's character, a bit about how he works, that Lord, you would just help us um, take that into ourselves this morning. We love you, God. What else can we say? In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate that this morning. And, uh, and Resound Plus, if you'd like to, to go to the fantastic stuff that's awaiting you. Brilliant. Beth's just gone through that door on your left, so if you just follow her there, that would be great. Thank you. Cheers. My, um, my talk for this morning is called Share the Chickpeas. And before you start thinking that's a bit of a weird title and who is this woman, if you've never heard me preach before, then I just want to give you some assurance this morning that I'm okay. I've got a check shirt on, so it's all good. <laughs> and um, so whatever happens, I'm channeling the check shirt, it's, it's, so it's all going to be good. So, uh, so this, whole, this whole message, this whole um, heartfelt message really to this morning is all based around... Um, Something that I heard on the radio a few weeks ago when I was driving into work and I was listening to a phone-in um, on Radio 2 and that worried me because I couldn't remember when I'd stopped listening to Radio 1 and I'd made that transition across and I don't even know what number one is in the charts anymore and I, oh, sh that's terrible for somebody who, who works with young people. Um, so, but I am now a Radio 2 listener. So I was listening to Radio 2, there was a phone-in, and um, the, the subject was, what strange things people do when they know things aren't going to be available, or are going to be less available for a time. And this guy phoned in, and he said, do you remember when um, the earth, the, not the earthquake, the volcano happened in Iceland, and all that ash went up into the air, and planes couldn't fly for a while, and because it was dangerous. He said, my mum heard this, and was so worried that planes were not going to come from Greece, and she loved hummus so much, and she was really, really anxious about the fact that there was going to be a lack of chickpeas. See, like my, my link there? And, uh, and so she said what she did was she went to a local supermarket and she cleared the shelves of all the tins of chickpeas because she was absolutely anxious and convinced that she wasn't going to be make, make her hummus anymore. And uh, he said, five years on... We are still eating hummus made from those tins of chickpeas. And I thought, isn't that great? Isn't that great? What a concept that is, because out of scarcity, out of thinking that something isn't going to be available anymore, what we do is we pull everything in. And we think, actually, I'm going to get those chickpeas, and I'm going to make sure that I still have my hummus. 
Oh, it's all gone quiet now. And I think this is indicative of how we are. And, and so, so I listened to that on the radio. And over the past few weeks, I've been going to meeting after meeting after meeting in the job that I have, um, where I've been meeting with local community leaders and local authority leaders and all manner of, of people from public health and clinical commissioning groups and that. And all they're talking about is what isn't available anymore and what we're not going to be able to have and how much debt we're in and what they can't do anymore. And it's such a scarcity thinking mindset, really. Um, and then I happened to go to a meeting um, about two weeks ago with Dee, Simon's wife, and a similar kind of meeting, but there were a bit more sort of voluntary sector representation there. And, and a lady got up and she got this book in her hand and she said, you must read this book. You must, must read this book. It's a book by a lady who um, is a gardener struggled to switch off there to get involved in the conversation um so she's a gardener and she's come out with these incredible principles of what we should do and she says this she said in her role as a gardener and as a cultivating you know horticulturist person what she does is if she knows there's going to be a shortage of something so if there's going to be less rain in the summer she stores all her rain up so she's got plenty for the year. How amazing is that? If we could apply that to our thinking, I'm thinking, I've heard this somewhere before. I've heard this story about where somebody knows there's going to be a famine and stores loads of stuff up in a barn. I think he did. And he fed a whole nation. That's Joseph mentality. If you don't know who Joseph is, then he's written about in the book of Genesis. And he actually did what this lady was talking about which was revolutionary thinking and I'm thinking I've heard all this stuff before and she was saying we need to have this abundance thinking not thinking about things we can't have but think abundantly and I'm thinking who else says that who else says that and I want to tell us this morning and show us actually how God has this economy of thinking. Because what we do when we have a scarcity mindset is we do three things. And I do all of these things from time to time. We accumulate. We get our chickpeas in. We save for a rainy day, as my mum used to say. And what I find is a rainy day always comes, so you've never got any savings anyway. So, so we do this accumulation, it all pulls it in. The second thing we do is we get suspicious, don't we? We only talk to people in our community. We only talk to people in our close friendship group. We only start to share things with people that we love and we trust. We, we don't talk to strangers. We don't talk to strangers. So we restrict and we, our, our circle of influence becomes really, really small. And the third thing is we preempt things. And what do I mean by that? I mean that I'll do it to you before you do it to me. So I'm in loads of things at the moment where decisions are made. And it's like, well, I'm making that decision before you make that decision for me. And all of these things are about pulling stuff into ourselves so that I am okay. And I totally get that because in my humanness, I want to be okay. I want to be okay. But that isn't God's economy. That is not God's economy. And we're going to look at um, a story in the New Testament in Mark about how Jesus had to have a conversation with his best friends about this whole concept. So it's in Mark chapter 9, verses 33 to 37. If you haven't got a Bible with you, that's fine. It should come up on the screen for you to follow with me. So we're going to start reading at verse 33. And it says, they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet, because on the way, they'd argued about who was the greatest. Sitting down, Jesus called the twelve and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last, and the servant of all. 
He took a little child whom he placed among them and taking the child in his arms, he said to him, whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. I think this was an argument out of anxiety about scarcity with his boys. Funny, isn't it, how we can argue about something and then somebody can ask us what you're talking about and we go really quiet. That's quite a natural humanistic thing to do. And what Jesus did, he sat down with them. He waited until he got them into a house. He sat them down. He got them to pause and he got them to reflect on actually what they were saying. What was actually behind what they were talking about? And he had a face-to-face conversation with his boys and he diffused their anxiety straight away. And he did that by changing their focus and putting it on a child. On a little child. And he did this for a really, really great reason. Because a child was a nobody in their culture. Had no standing, had no position, had no voice. The lowest of the low in that sense, in the food chain. And I think God's got a message for us in that this morning. Because Jesus changed their economy by showing it's a bottom-up kingdom. By showing that actually the nobodies are of divine value. And that gives me heart and that gives me strength this morning. Because in the world's economy, I'm probably a nobody. In the way that the world is structured. I haven't got a great title. Haven't got a great amount of wealth. Haven't got a great amount of influence in the world sense. But actually to God, I'm divine value. And Jesus told them, this is abundant thinking. Because the nobodies are everywhere. There are more than enough nobodies for us to work with and for us to connect with and for us to have community with. It's non-competitive. It's not about who's the greatest. It's whoever comes. So whether you've been a Christian for years, whether you've been a Christian a week, whether you would consider that you haven't a faith this morning and you're just checking it all out, do you know what? You have the same access to God as I have right now. Exactly the same. There's no hierarchy in God's kingdom in that sense. Whoever comes... Because it's all about welcoming. It's all about being hospitable. It's the way in. It's the most important thing to do. And so what Jesus did with his best mates was say to them, look, we need to get out of this scarce. It's not about who's the greatest, who's the pinnacle, who's the top. It's about actually everybody. Everybody has divine value. Everybody should be living life now. And why did Jesus feel the need to do this? Well, if, if you look at whole through the Bible, this whole message runs all the way through from beginning to end. And I want to show you this morning, hopefully, is that we can't get away from this central message because what Jesus had to sit down with his best mates and explain to them is exactly what Jesus has to sit down with me periodically and tell me. It's exactly the same message, that God's heart is that everyone lives life now. That's God's heart, that everybody lives life now. And this community that we sit in exists for that community out there exists for that community out there and the poverty and the injustices they experience. Do you know there are over 2,000 verses in the Bible that address the issue of poverty and injustice? 2,000. In the New Testament, that's one out of every 16 relate to this subject. And in the Gospels, that's the first four books of the Bible, it's nearer one in every 10. So if we threw out every verse that related to poverty and injustice out of the book that we live our life by, The prodigal son story would go. The good Samaritan story would go. 
Loads and loads of stuff would get thrown away. And do you know what we'd be left with? I'll tell you what we'd be left with. A very thin book. A very, very, very thin book. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was a, a German pastor, and he was imprisoned and even executed in a concentration camp during the World War II. And he wrote this incredible statement. He said this, The church is only the church when it exists for the sake of others. When it exists for the sake of others. When we give ourselves away. When we live for something bigger than ourselves. When we live for something bigger than ourselves. And this is why this church here is so blatant in reminding us all of the time that we're more than a community of people that sit here on a Sunday morning for an hour and 15 minutes. We're more than that. We're to be a community of hope to those that have no hope. For those who maybe feel desperate and powerless in their lives. And you may be sitting here this morning and you think, oh, I feel a bit desperate and powerless this morning, Jane. Would you know what? You're in the right place this morning. Because God's got a heart and a message for you. You know, the first thing Jesus said when he stood up publicly was this, that was recorded in the Bible, is that the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. You ever ask yourself the question, who are the poor? Who are these poor? Where are they? What are they? How do we measure what poor is? And the Bible calls them the foreigner the fatherless and the widow. And God has a really strong message and really clear instructions to his body then to defend the powerless, plead for the abused and be generous to the needy. And I'm going to tell this one, that message hasn't changed. Those three things we are still called to do. We're still called to defend the powerless, plead for the abused and be generous to the needy. And this goes right back pre, pre pre-Jesus. And we're going to read a verse from Deuteronomy which actually says what God actually wants us to do. And I don't think this has changed. It says this in Deuteronomy 24, verse 17. It says, do not deprive the foreigner or the fatherless of justice or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you're harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless and the widow so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And when you beat the olives from your trees, don't go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, don't go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember, you were slaves in Egypt. This is why I command you to do this. I think God's trying to hammer something home there. And if you leave from this morning with nothing else in your head but the fatherless, the foreigner, and the widow, I think I've done my job. I think I've done my job. Because in that society, men were the protectors of women and children and their providers. So if they died before their sons came of age to provide an income, these families would have little or no provision or no protection at all. Nothing. And the foreigner was also vulnerable to those things. And in our language, we probably call these people refugees. And we hear a lot about these, this word at the moment. A lot of people flowing out of these countries. These are people with no other option than to escape persecution or war or famine from their own home country. You see, things haven't changed. We're still living in a world that exhibits the same challenges and the same hardships as Jesus lived in. 
See, all of these people live on the very edge of survival. They could easily starve. They have no place to call home. They have no place to live sometimes. And they die of things that would be perfectly treatable if their circumstances were different. Sound familiar? Do you know what? This church is brilliant. Brilliant at addressing some of those things on there. And long may that continue. Long may God break our hearts for those that have no power to make their own lives better in that sense. And maybe this is a hard message and maybe it's a challenging message and I hope it is to me as well. Because I think there's something that we need to get from this. And maybe we would languish that a lot vulnerable. Maybe we'd say those open to being exploited. Maybe we'd say those dependent on something or someone. Those people living below the poverty line, whoever draws that. But you know, it doesn't always have to manifest itself in monetary terms. Now, when people say the word poor to me, I immediately go to financial means. But actually, there's emotional poverty. And today's Adoption and Fostering Sunday. You may or may not know that. And all across the nation today, churches will be highlighting the needs of children and young people who need family. And I know there are people here that have heard that call and have risen to that and have said a yes to God and a yes to, to do, sorting that out. And today this group would include children with parents who are unable to care for them or without the resources to care for them for long periods of time. I'm going to take a moment this morning. We're going to pray for those of you in our, in our, in our community here that are either adoptive parents or fostering parents or are respite givers because I think we should honour them this morning. I'm not going to embarrass you in any way, but I would like to pray for you. Is that all right? If we can join together and pray for that with across all the nation that this is being highlighted. And there are groups cropping up all over the place that are actually taking this call on and are saying, could the church be the global family for children and young people that need that? So I'm just going to pray if that's okay if you join with me in that. And God, I just want to thank you that the heart of the child is so close to the heart of yours. And that, Father, you took a child and you said we should come as one of these. Because children may be seen as a commodity in some countries and in some cultures, but, Father, to you they're of divine value. So, Father, I want to pray for every person in this place and in the community that actually has taken on the call and responsibility of looking after these children and young people and giving them family. God, would you empower them? Would you, Father, give them strength? Father, when they think their patience has run out, God, Father, would you give them supernatural strength, I pray. And God, I pray that, Father, the young people that are in their care, Father, would be incredible young people for you in this place. God, we want to thank you that, God, your heart has never changed over 2,000 years. And would you help us, Father, to be a family to those that need a family? Father, we give this to you because, Father, at the end of the day, you're the only one that can make the difference. So help us, God, as we look at the fatherless, the foreigner, and the widow, and our responsibility in that. Bless those people here that have said a big yes to that call. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And if you're interested in exploring that, in being an adoptive or a foster, a foster care or respite giver, there are people here we can connect you with if you want to start that conversation off. And I'm sure they'd love to have a conversation with you about what that means and what that entails. But this isn't a message this morning either to have a dig at you if you feel, actually, do you know what? I've got a bit of a healthy wallet. This isn't a dig about that. 
This isn't a dig about that at all. Because I think God wants you to, us to enjoy those things. He wants us to enjoy the meals we have. He wants to, us to enjoy our, our homes. He wants to enjoy the things that we're blessed with. So don't feel guilty about the fact that you may be more affluent than the person you're sitting next to. I would just say to you, God doesn't want you to feel guilty. He wants you to be responsible. And be responsible with the wealth and, and, the, and the good things that we've been given. That's the call on us, to be responsible for those things. So if you're sitting here, you're feeling a bit guilty, you think, oh, then actually, that isn't from God. God is just asking you to be responsible with the things that you've been given. And if you're unsure what that looks like, there's a great verse in the Bible in 1 Timothy um, chapter 6. And this is, this is what we have to do. It says, command those who are rich in this present world, that's today, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And I'd put on that, live life now. Live life now. So why should I care? Why should I really, really care? Why should I go out of my way? Why should I open my eyes and open my ears and try and listen to God's voice in the whole of this thing? Well, I think there are four main reasons that I've found. The first one is because I was poor and God helped me. If you remember in that passage that we read in Deuteronomy, God kept saying, remember you were slaves in Egypt. Remember you were slaves in Egypt. I think God says to me today, remember Jane when I came for you? Remember when I came and rescued you? Remember when I came and released you? Remember when I came and I gave you everything that you needed? You were poor once. You were poor once. And God places himself with the poor. There's a great verse in Proverbs 19 that says this, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. I think the Bible's really interesting in the words it uses. I don't think any word is there because they couldn't think of a better think, think way of putting it or a better word to use. I think it's really interesting the Bible says that we lend to the Lord. And so this God that needs nothing and owns everything says, if we do something for the poor, it's like we're giving God a loan. It's almost like God saying, I owe you one. I owe you one for that. Thanks for noticing that, Jane. I owe you one. It's almost like we're storing things up in God's economy and how he works. And I think God loves it when we do something that is outside of us and is outside of who, who we are and who we're living for. God protects the poor. He defends their cause and he loves them. If anybody stands up for injustice more than God, I'd like to meet them. I'd like to meet them. Because caring for the poor is a good thing. It's a good thing. And the Bible is full of promises about what God feels about those that help them. So my main reason for this is the fact because God tells me to. God tells me to. And in Deuteronomy 15, it says this, there will always be poor people in the land. Always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. I don't know how more blatant God can be in what he's trying to say. From the start to the finish of the Bible, this whole message runs through. This whole message runs through. Help the poor. Give. Be generous. Live open-handed. And just because I can't do everything doesn't mean I have an excuse 
to do nothing. And so I asked myself the question, so Jane, why don't you do more? If you really believe this is at the core of your faith, if you really believe that God has spoken, you know, 2,000 times about this issue, why don't you do more? Why don't you do more? And I thought, well, maybe there's so much need, God, and I'm only one person. Where do I start? Who do I start with? What actually do I do? And then I read this great story about Mother Teresa. And I'm going to read it so I don't misquote it. And it says, Mother Teresa, a guy went to see her. And he said, Mother Teresa, as I look around India, the problem of poverty is so staggeringly huge. And even with what you're doing, it's just a drop in the bucket. And Mother Teresa replied, no, it's not just a drop in the bucket. It's a drop in an ocean. But if I didn't do something, there'd be one less drop. And the man said, well, then what can I do? And she said this, just do what is in front of you. Just do what is in front of you. And I thought, you know what? I can do that. I can do what's in front of me. So maybe the next time I feel a bit overwhelmed by the things that are coming across the media to me and I'm reading my newspapers and I'm seeing stuff in my own community, maybe I can remember two things and maybe we can remember two things. That even though it might seem like a drop in the bucket to me, the person I'm helping will see it as a gift from God. Sometimes I've not even thought it through and I've just done something. But to that person I've done that for, that is a gift from God. And the second thing is this. We're not just a drop in the bucket for our communities. But together, we become the bucket. And over the next few weeks, coming up to Christmas, you're going to hear some exciting opportunities that what we can do to be that bucket for our community. And I want to encourage you, you know, to be here and hear and get involved and hear about what the heart of our leadership has to say about giving back into our community. Because together we're a bucket, not just a drop. We can't do everything, but we can do something. We can do something. Something that reflects God's love to the world around me. And it flows from what I've received. It flows from what I've already received, and it all comes back to the cross. And we're going to take communion this morning. And there are loads of reasons to take communion. But I just want to major in on one thing this morning and try and link all this back together. Because communion is where we connect as a family and as a community. It's like going back to our roots. And this is about where we come back and we go, do you know what? I've got a load of chickpeas here. I've accumulated a load of chickpeas. But what I'm going to do, which is think is where that woman made a mistake, is there's nothing wrong in clearing the shells of chickpeas. What she should have gone is gone, Simon, here's a can of chickpeas for you when your hummus runs out. And here's a can of chickpeas for you, Nick, because you'll run out of hummus one day. And Rebs, here's a can of chickpeas for you because I know you love hummus so much, I couldn't keep it to myself. And that's where God's economy turns the world's economy upside down. When we accumulate, we accumulate to share. We accumulate to share. At the core of our faith is relationship. And when we take communion, we're relating not only to God, but to each other. But to each other. And it's this that makes our community compelling for other people. In a world where maybe everything else for them is disconnected. There was an amazing testimony last week. If you've not heard it, you've got to hear it. About how a guy found community compelling. Totally challenging, but compelled him to come and discover and explore.
And I want this to be a compelling community. I want there to be something in my life that when it joins with something in your life, makes it attractive for people to come. Not just to come, but to stay and add their drop into our bucket. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't that be great? Why would we hold everything in when Jesus gave everything like this and still does to this minute? Why would we? Why would we pull everything into ourselves when he stretched out his arms and said, everything is available to you, Jane. Everything. Just come and get what you need. And as you take communion this morning, I want to encourage you to ask yourself a couple of questions. Will you live life open-handed? Will you live life open-handed? Will you notice? Will you see? Will you feel? Will you hear? Will you care? And then will you serve? Will you extend your arms wide like Jesus does every minute of every day? Because the Bible is full of this word and Jesus noticed. He saw the crowds and he noticed. He saw people walking along the road and he noticed. He saw something was happening with his friends and he noticed. And I want to encourage us, let's be a community of people that notice. That notice. It could be that something about your friend's appearance changes and that's an indicator of something that's, that's bigger going on in their lives. Just you going, you are right. It's noticing. It could be a colleague you work with and you think everybody else has noticed but maybe they haven't. And maybe just that one word from you is enough. Is enough to live life with life with an arm outstretched. Let's make a choice this morning to be a people that never closes their eyes or ears to the cries of our community and beyond. And my heart for us as a church and my heart for us as a community is this, is let's be a real church that makes a real difference in the lives of real people. And so you're going to be served this morning. Please feel free to take the communion, the bread and the wine as it comes to you. It is gluten-free, so it is free to everybody to take. And just say, God, this morning, I'm coming back to where I received everything so that I can go out and live life now with arms outstretched to a community that needs you. Let's connect together as family this morning. Thank you, guys.